Hi there, and welcome, ladies and gents, to the Journey of Growth podcast with your host, Griffin Shea. The Journey of Growth podcast depicts what it's like to travel along the road of life, identifying key moments in what we like to call potholes, detours, and free-roaming highways. Each guest and episode will portray events in life that are defining and add to the exhilaration of the ride that we call the Journey of Growth. Episode 13, the brand car. Brand is a fourth year accounting, finance, and international business student at the University of Georgia here in Athens. Outside of class, Brand serves as the vice president of professional activities for Delta Sigma Pi, America's foremost co ed professional business fraternity. In addition to DSP, Brand recently joined Beta Alpha Psi, a national scholastic and professional fraternity whose purpose is to advance the study and practice of accounting. Prior to attending UGA, Brand grew up in Norcross, Georgia. Brand earned the rank of an Eagle during his time in the Boy Scouts of America and graduated from Norcross High School with an International Baccalaureate Diploma. In his free time, Brand enjoys photography, playing guitar, and spending time outdoors. In this episode, you will uncover some of the deepest moments in Brand's life regarding how he sees himself. You will also get to hear about how successful he is in college because of what he has learned from his past experiences. He's truly insightful and it was a true joy to have him on. So please stay tuned and we hope that you enjoy this episode of the Journey of Growth podcast with the brand car. Mr. Brand Carr, welcome to the Journey of Growth podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. So as we were discussing right before this episode, Brand loves poems and they have true meaning to his life. So he's going to go ahead and start off the episode with two of his favorites and then we'll dive in to the meaning of these to Brand's life. So Brand, take over. All right. Well, thank you so much, Griffin. So the first poem I'd like to read, this is a, kind of a personal poem. My mom used to read it to me when I was a lot younger. It's called If by Rudyard Kipling and it goes like this. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you give your life to broken and stoop and build up the worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of your winnings and risk it all one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which shall say to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 50 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, 
and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So that's the first poem. And the second one I have, um, it's called Invictus by William Ernest Henley. And it goes like this. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wraths and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So, Mr. Brim, this is definitely a first with somebody reading off some poems I was not expecting, but why do these kind of leave such a powerful impact on you? Yeah, well, If by Rudyard Kipling, that's something that um, throughout my life, my mom has always kind of told me snippets of each one. I know um, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind for me is is the section of the poem where it talks about if you can walk with kings and not lose the common touch. Um, that is something that she's always kind of instilled in me to be um, confident in who I am and strive for greatness, but also to um, to not lose track of your humility and understand that kind of even if you are in a place that maybe elevated from others, you still are very modest and you you understand your humble beginnings. So that kind of was my first interaction with that poem. And as I got older and as I became a little bit more literate, uh, later down the road, I started reading a little bit more poetry and I went through and I read that and I thought it's just a very good, well-rounded poetry uh, poem to help kind of guide your trajectory and becoming the best form of yourself. Um, obviously, there's a little bias that talks about becoming a man, but I think all those virtues can apply to uh, to anyone who's who's willing to improve themselves. Yeah, I think a huge thing nowadays is a lot of people say that when they get to some position that they're going to be the same person, but I mean, life is crazy and life sometimes corrupts these people. But if I think now being intentional with what you know about this and how this has laid such an impact on you, like when you get to that position, you're still going to have those values and belief Mm -hmm. that you have now. Absolutely. So crazy thing is, is we're close to graduating and money's going to come around and we all know what happens with money. Money's power is how you use it. Money's a tool. So if you ever do walk along with the Kings, you have to remember that there are people that you grew up side by side with and they're not better than you. You are not better than them. You may have this title and money, but at the end of the day, we're just humans. Absolutely. It's about maintaining your humility 100% of the time. So, Brand, you are here at the University of Georgia, Mm -hmm. and you're a fourth year studying way too many things, uh, (laughs) accounting, finance, and international business. What made you want to just be so ambitious in the realm of (laughs) academia? Well, I... um, when I first started at the University of Georgia, I did not start out with all the accounting, finance, and international business majors that I was studying. Um, is that three majors? Yeah, I think it's two and a half. I think the IB counts as a half co-major. Um, so it's not quite three, but it's, it's still a decent amount of course load. 
Um, but when I, I first started at UGA, I started out as a pre-med major and I kind of had this mindset that while everybody at my high school is going off to become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or something like that, um, I figured being a lawyer may or may not be something that I, I would want to consider down the future and I knew engineering was just not my strong suit. So I was thinking to myself, well why don't I give the, the pre-med route a go? And I did that for about a year and a half, about two years, I would say. So halfway through my sophomore year of college, I had a bit of an existential crisis. I, uh, I went and visited one of my friends at a different school closer to Atlanta, and she was doing uh, the pre-med program at her university, and I asked her um, how she was enjoying college, how she was enjoying school, and she was a lot more intent on pursuing that route than I was. I think her her focus and her her motives for that were a lot more defined than where I was. And I was kind of locked into this category of, well, all my friends are doing it, so I was kind of peer pressured into taking organic chemistry uh, from high school. Good old OCHEM. Oh, it's horrible. I would never go back. Um, but you get to draw pretty hexagons, I think, and, uh, and different things, so it was, it was a it was a nice ride. I learned a lot, but I, I knew that it really wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, so she actually, she turned the question around on me and she asked me, well, Bran, how do you like uh, the pre-med life at UGA? Because their programs are a little bit different. And I looked at her and I don't know if it was the, the hour and a half drive from Athens to Atlanta, the tiredness, the exhaustion from uh, taking Oakham, but I looked at her and I just kind of said, well, you know, I absolutely hate it. It's not something <laughs> I want. And so that was the first time that I had really vocalized to myself that being a doctor down the road, studying what I was studying was not something that was meant for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so after I, I made that leap of faith into, into the unknown by just kind of ripping off the band-aids of, of trying to piece together um, things that I felt like I should have done because other people were telling me to do, which was going down the pre-med path, um, I started doing a little bit more investigation into uh, my own interests, being a little bit more critical about what I wanted to study down the road. Uh, one thing I should have done probably at the end of high school was really sat down and talked to people about different career paths and, um, and took a deeper look into the different majors that were offered as opposed to just going in blindly as pre-med. Mm -hmm. um, so I dabbled in mathematics for a little bit. <laughs> I really loved math. Um, growing up, um, statistics was never my strong suit, but I loved calculus and I realized those were some of my favorite classes in my pre-med course load. Um, I figured if I wasn't going to pursue a PhD in math, my efforts may be better suited elsewhere. So I thought a little bit about landscape architecture. Oh my goodness. You've been all over which, the place. Oh, it's all over the place. And UGA, astonishingly enough, I think they have like the number one landscape architecture program in the country. Yeah. So that was something that was really big. Um, my parents were not too fond of it just because they figured if I could, um, if I could draw out landscape plans, I could go ahead and drop out of school and, and start that right away. So I wanted to make sure I, I finished up college and got a degree. So I started looking a little bit more into business. And uh, the summer after I made my <laughs> existential declaration of anti-pre-med, I started taking the Terry pre-business classes. So I took legal studies, accounting one, and uh, microeconomics. And 
initially I thought I would be more interested in finance and the accounting side. Mm-hmm. But once I got into the class and once I really got over that initial learning curve of just understanding the different um, words used in business, the accounting jargon, I started to really, really get interested in accounting because it felt like it was more of, um, we have these businesses set up, but there's still a language that they have to follow. And I felt like um, with without beating a, a platitude of accounting being the language of businesses, definitely I became interested in pursuing accounting because it was the language of business. Um, as I got a little bit further in my college career, I still loved accounting. Um, I've got some buddies who make accounting puns and they talk about um, things like be audit you can be. Um, we haven't come up with many good tax puns, but uh, those, those keep me young. But to balance out the accounting heavy side, um, I got really, really interested in corporate finance through my intro to corporate finance class. And it felt like where accounting is the language of business, it's writing kind of the blueprints of how your business is doing. Uh, finance was much more an execution of that language or the, the action verbs behind it. Um, so I just felt that naturally those two complemented each other really well. And since I've gotten into uh, my accounting and finance classes, I've noticed that there's been a lot of overlap between uh, the terms, talking about stocks and bonds, how to account for them, how, um, how they're valued. Um, overall, it's been extremely beneficial in kind of expanding my overall uh, knowledge of the more financial instruments of business. So I've really enjoyed it. Um, and then last tidbit, I guess the half major, this will be half as long, uh, maybe a little bit shorter. Um, but uh, I wanted to make sure that whatever I did kept a global mindset um, in place. So I tacked on the international business component because I had been a Spanish minor for a little bit. I had also worked in restaurants that were heavily influenced uh, by Latin American culture. I was in a lot of Spanish-speaking work environments and just felt like a natural addition um, to that kind of math-heavy um, major course load. And here I am and trying to make it through, but I couldn't be happier with where I am than now. Can you speak a little bit of Spanish? Isn't that right? Sí. Uh, He estado estudiando español por 10 años en la escuela. And I don't know if I butchered that. I apologize to all my Spanish-speaking friends at home. Um, there's a little bit. I probably learned a little bit more uh, words I probably shouldn't say on air, so I'll keep those off. But um, yeah, I've, I've done a decent amount of uh, studying of Spanish literature, uh, but not too much academic rigor uh, for the past few years. I'm actually, I will be studying abroad in Panama over spring break, so hopefully some of that will come back to me and I'll come back a little bit more fluent a little bit later down the road. And honestly, right now, it just sounds like you're kind of like a renaissance man, just trying oh, to you. put your hands in everything. <laughs> I talked with, we had Ryan on the show mm-hmm. last, and he had mentioned that he would rather be a, a jack of all trades than a master of one. What gotcha. would your answer to that be? I would say, given kind of my academic course load, I would definitely like to have a broader idea of all the different components of a business. Mm-hmm. Because if you, and this is true for any kind of position where you're in a a spot where you have to be a leader, you have to take charge in something. I think if you understand components of each part of an organization or of something, it gives you a stronger uh, foresight into how you want to lead that organization or what direction you want to take it. Um, 
obviously the counter arguments to that are um, you're not as specified and maybe you don't carve out your niche within society. But for me personally, I think having a holistic overview of a bunch of different subjects within the business school is a lot more rewarding than kind of keeping my head uh, to the grindstone just with accounting or just with finance or, or something Yeah, I like think that. for sure in the business world, if you don't know kind of how almost every single part of your business works, you're most likely not going to do too well. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to, I think, the most important things of a business, of course, you need a product or a service that a customer wants to buy. Yeah. But being able to read the financial statements and also being able to have good employees and knowing how to manage them. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, I mean, knowing every single aspect is a little bit better than being like really good at accounting. You're like, okay, it'd be like um, Ben Affleck from The Accountant. Like that I don't think I've seen it okay, yet. Well, I he, need to see it. Though. He turned out to be an assassin, but oh man, he was actually just really smart. Yeah, he focused on the accounting. But mm-hmm. like I said, if if you really want to do well at something, you might as well get some sort of breadth of mm-hmm. knowledge in that sphere. Absolutely. But if you find something you really do enjoy in that breadth, you can go deep. Kind of like in marketing, the breadth and the depth of the brand mm-hmm. names. Absolutely. I don't want to get into that. We have no. a test next week. <laughs> but so you're doing all of that, and that's the academic base. Yes, yes. What is your social life here, if you even have one? And I know you do, so let's explain that and how you kind of balance Um, all that. Yeah, so a lot of my social time is spent um, usually at the BLC. I'll I'll be there hanging out with some of my DSP bros. Um, Brian also goes here to the University of Georgia. Yes. Sorry for not mentioning that, but go ahead. Yeah, Uh, yeah, so... I, uh, I'll usually spend time in passing um, if if I have like a study break in between I usually try to go to pretty large socially I guess acceptable places to talk outlets when I study so like coffee shops uh, the MLC different things so I try to avoid keeping myself shut in when I study um, that just kind of gives me a, a stronger outlet if I need to go ask someone a question I can do that a lot easier um, one of the things that I've really focused on doing this semester is being very intentional with uh, my social routine. So in the past, I would spend um, all day, it seemed like, at the BLC between my classes and going to study. Um, but I felt like the people I was trying to keep up with, our conversations just were not as in-depth as they needed to have been because they were studying, I was studying, um, so what I've done this semester is I've started planning the, I guess, social outlets. So uh, like next week, I've got a dinner with two of my friends for my pledge class. Um, we're going to go and just uh, catch up. I always make an effort to, um, to go on at least one or two dates with my girlfriend over, um, over the course of the month. So being very intentional about that study routine has, has made it a little bit easier to be an accountant with a social life. But uh, these past two weeks with midterms and planning bold, it's just, it's been kind of tough. So I'm starting to get back into the social swing eventually over time. And you're also involved in DSP, which is most of the interviewees, but you've also got a nice position in the business fraternity. Would you mind explaining that and kind of what you do? Absolutely. So this past semester, I was thrown into the uh, vice president of professional activities position. And essentially what I'm responsible for is um, making sure that chapter uh, maintains good contact with different corporate representatives or small business representatives. Um, so for example, we recently held a, 
large networking event called Bold, which was actually started about five years ago um, by one of our DSP alums. And Bold stands for Building Opportunities for Leadership and Development. So we had nine firms attend and roughly about 70 or 80 percent of chapter joined too. And so my role in that was just making sure that there was an event set up where our brothers would have um, a lot more one-on-one -on -one interactions between um, between different employers that they would be interested in uh, so that before they went into the um, the UGA Fall Career Fair, which was actually the next day after Bold, they'd be able to go up to some of the booths and say, oh, I remember you from the networking event, or oh, um, do you remember the conversation we had last night? So it's, it's trying to break down those kind of power distance mm -hmm. dynamics uh, between professionals and students, because all of all the brothers in DSPs, they'll be future professional business leaders one day. Um, so I think the earlier they can be comfortable talking to people who are already in those higher roles, the better. Yeah. Um, on top of that, I do a lot of answering emails and uh, trying to help people with their resume critiques, especially as they go into recruitment season. And from time to time, just offer uh, general general business advice. So that's kind of a rundown of, of my position. I think what's pretty funny here is that there were two people to run for that position of vice president of professional affairs. It was actually Brand, and the other person was me. Oh, and I know. And what's really funny is I thought I was, I really thought I was going to get it because I'm like huge in personal development, mm -hmm. but really like a introspective and hindsight look like my professional development isn't anywhere close to yours. So I went up there and winged a speech. I had no PowerPoint, no nothing. And Brand had all of this like very well planned out PowerPoint. It was like, holy goodness, this guy, I mean, like Griffin looks like an idiot compared to this guy. And actually, I think right now, you're definitely the right person for the job. Thank you. And like right now, I probably wouldn't be able to do that just because of like where you are, what you're balancing, what your beliefs are, and what you see about the future. And with prof professional and personal development, like you are the right guy for the position. And I mean, the winner takes all, so I mean, you got it, but I'm glad you're there. I mean, you're definitely helping out a lot of people, and well, I appreciate it. Service is definitely something I know you like. Um, more than anything, uh, I, I think this position has definitely helped me grow a lot more because I was able to put together a PowerPoint um, when I was running for that position, but I was in no way prepared to take on something like Bold. Um, I was in no way prepared to take on that additional responsibility of people looking to me, a guy who at the time um, had never really had an internship, had only really worked in restaurants uh, for professional advice. So just as much as hopefully I've helped other people develop their professional skills, um, the amount of um, benefit I've received from being thrown into a challenging position mm -hmm. has... Um, has been extremely humbling, but it has, has helped me grow a lot as a person. That's awesome. All right, well, are you ready to jump in to yeah. the journey of growth? Let's go for it. All right, so Mr. Bram, we identify potholes, and what are those, those things in life that you've encountered and that you have failed upon, but how can other people benefit from the experience of your life? Yeah, um, <laughs> well, I think, after I, I kind of looked over um, your kind of journey of growth blueprint, one of the biggest potholes I think I, 
I faced in my earlier career, because I know we're both pretty young. You're 22, I'm 21. We're, we're still just kids in the eyes of the world. Um, but I think even with that, everybody has their own unique story and their own unique backgrounds. Um, I would say one of my biggest potholes or my biggest challenges goes back to when I was an upperclassman in high school, so about junior or senior year. Um, and I struggled a lot with body positivity, self-acceptance, um, just general confidence and different things. Um, when I talked to some of my friends going back, they kind of, they seemed shocked that I held the sentiment. Um, but growing up, like in middle school, I was a fairly kind of overweight kid. Um, so I spent a lot of time, my earlier years in high school, uh, running a lot. I did a lot of cross country running. Um, I think at one point I'd gotten up to doing a 10K a day during the summer. So it was, it was excessive running. And in my mind, I was running after something where I thought, okay, if I just run one more mile or if I just kind of cut down my food a little bit more, I'll lose extra weight and I'll get to be that person that everybody really loves and I'll get to be the person that everybody looks up to. And f for the longest time, um, I just, I didn't, I was unable to accept um, that self-love for myself. And so I was pushing myself to these physical extremes and just kind of keeping myself in this mental box of not being good enough um, and not realizing that it wasn't that I wasn't good enough in the eyes of um, other people, but it was in myself that I hadn't learned how to kind of love myself. And so one of the things that happened is during my senior year, um, a part of like the being overweight thing, I had a couple um, like hormone issues and body issues that couldn't necessarily be rectified with, um, with exercising. Um, so the winter break of my senior year, I kind of went low-key and undercover uh, for about three weeks, and I had a surgery to reduce um, gynecomastia, which is extra tissue and skin kind of in, in your chest area for men. And so that was something I'd always been extremely uncomfortable about for a long time. And fortunately enough, I was able to um, have the means to be able to do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so all the way up through uh, the first half of my senior year, I kept exercising. I kept kind of looking at the end of the year. And it was literally, I think the surgery was on December 31st as being this kind of date that I could get to that once, uh, once I have my surgery, I'm going to look beautiful, I'm going to love myself, and everybody's going to love me. And so I kept pushing towards that date, and I don't know if you've ever had surgery before, but post-op is, is not fun. Whether or not it's like a torn ACL, it's, um, it's something not very invasive, maybe get your wisdom teeth pulled. Um, and fortunately, the surgery I had, it was, it was very surface level, but it did help as far as... Um, reducing the excess skin that, that had accumulated from just losing, um, I think I'd lost about 40 or 50 pounds. Holy uh, over crap. The, yeah, so it was a lot over the course of maybe a year and a half, two years. Um, so that kind of helped that process. And once I got out, I had this, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like a corset yeah. um, to keep everything together. Uh, so I guess you're, your, uh, your stuffing didn't pop out of the stitches and everything. Um, and so I had about a two week post-op where I watched Guardians of the Galaxy and slept on my back for a long time. Um, and it just wasn't really fun. 
And so as I got out and as immediately afterwards, I was absolutely blown away. I was like, yes, this is going to be my time to shine. Um, but I didn't realize that that was not going to be an instantaneous fix. It was something that um, on top of kind of having, I think it was about a six week recovery before I could actually like do exercises again. Um, I would have to start to overcome that mental hurdle that was still there. So even though um, I'd had the surgery to look more beautiful, I guess, or to, to be more accepting in my body, um, it really didn't take um, until, I, I want to say, um, my sophomore year of college before I really, really started to accept my body and be more comfortable in who I am and, and wearing clothes. And so... A lot of that just kind of had to do with putting myself into uncomfortable situations. Um, you know, like going swimming without a shirt on. I used to be horrified to do that. And I loved swimming and I loved going to the beach and I loved, uh, I used to want to be a marine biologist because I, I wanted to scuba dive so much. Um, so there's a lot of aspects like that where um, even though I could have done all of those things before I had that surgery and after I had that surgery, it took a long time of really getting over that mental hurdle that I wasn't good enough. So um, one thing that I would, I would challenge everyone at home to do is to look into the mirror and really think of what they're insecure about and realize that it's just a part of who you are. And if you have the means to fix something that you're maybe upset with or don't think is perfect, then by all means, if you know that at the end of the day, that's going to make you feel better, it's going to make you um, happier in the long run, by all means, go for it. But know that your worth and your self-value um, is something that can only be attained through yourself. No amount of validation from other people is going to bring that. Um, no surgeries, anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest potholes. I used to take a ton of selfies. That's probably the most vain person in the world. Cause I was just trying to prove to myself that, um, that I was attracted, that I was, um, somebody that was wanted by someone else. But that's something I, I don't wish for anyone else to have to experience that pothole. So the earlier you can kind of realize that you are loved and that you should love yourself, um, the better. What would you say, what would be your message to people who are struggling with body issues with self-esteem issues because as it looks like right now you're definitely doing really well to give yourself value and it seems like that with everything that you're doing what would you say to them that if they're struggling how can they kind of break through that mindset of negativity about themselves yeah um i would say if you're if you're working out to lose pounds change your mindset start working out to uh to do activities that you love um, I like that. I one like of my, <laughs> I honestly, I love running. Um, I, I ran a lot when I was younger to, to start losing weight, but as I've gotten older, as I started to get a lot more self-acceptance, um, I do two things when I run, I guess three kind of, um, one is something that I don't do. And then two are the two activities I do when I run. Um, but the first thing that I don't do when I run is I don't listen to music. And then I fill that time that I'm running with either a podcast I'm a huge fan of podcasts, uh, whether or not they're, they're business-related, news-related, social justice-related, um, any kind of podcast, shooting the breeze, it's, I, I love them all. I'll either listen to a podcast 
or I'll use that maybe 30, 45 minutes to an hour to just kind of have a mindful meditation. Um, so the biggest thing I would say is if you're working out to lose weight, change your mindset and say, I'm working out to be able to do the things that I love. Um, whether or not it's rock climbing, backpacking, just not getting winded, walking up the stairs, that's a huge thing. Do that. Um, the other thing I would say is, and I guess mine, it's more, it's more like health conscientious things. Um, if you're eating, respect your body and eat things that don't deprave yourselves of sweets because you need to have that. I think it, it makes your soul feel a little bit full. Um, but make sure you respect your body and you're eating food that is good for you, food that you've intentionally made. Um, like cook more, don't just go out to eat um, fast food stuff. Really be intentional about what you're eating and, um, and make cooking into a hobby. But I guess the biggest piece of advice holistically um, would be to really be able to look at yourself and say that if no one at the end of the day loves me, I at least love myself and that's all that matters. Um, and just taking, taking time out of your day to say um, that you love yourself and that you are valued and that you are valuable and worthy of love really goes a long way. Thanks for being a messenger because I know a lot of people, I know sometimes I deal with that struggle with myself. It's like, how, how valued am I? Like, mm -hmm. what do I think about myself? Yeah. And it definitely takes a lot of introspection. And, I mean, you can say it takes a lot of introspection, but at the same time, like, you can go like, yeah, I, I think and I reflect, but, like, how deep do you get? Do you answer your own questions? Mm -hmm. Instead of just posing that question to yourself and be like, you know what, I'll think about this question for a little bit because I know, I, I sort of know about myself, but actualizing an answer for yourself, mm -hmm. that is the toughest part. Yeah. But if you can do that, and I love the way you were saying with working out, like being able to be fully functional and be in that present moment of whatever it needs to be that you might have to be agile. Mm -hmm. That like, that's huge because yeah. you never know where you're going to be. Yeah. But if you've been working out, like you're ready to move, you're ready oh, to like go climb a tree, do anything, whatever you want to do. It's just, so. I listen to Aubrey Marcus and mm -hmm. he was just saying that the drug, the best drug that you can ever take is working out. Oh yeah. Just training your animal body. Oh yeah. To be willing and ready for any situation. I notice the days where I don't work out, I have a significantly waning uh, kind of outlook on the world. I don't know what it is. If it's the dopamine, the serotonin, whatever chemical it is. Um, just feel sluggish. Oh yeah, yeah. But working out, it just it's it's the best medicine for anything. Thirty minutes a day. That's all it takes, and it drastically changes your mood. All right, let's head on over to the El Detour section. Okay. What's, what's something that just unexpectedly came into your life and you were just like, well, what, well, why am I doing this? But then it ended up turning being just a part of your journey and something yeah. that you learn from. Yeah. Um, so the biggest detour I guess I took um, was after the start of college. I figured I'd go and I'd have the traditional college route where I would um, get up, go to class, go to football games on the weekends. Um, and do whatever else it is that college kids do their first year of college. Um, but what I ended up doing instead is um, my dad had a little bit of a career change, and so I wanted to be a little bit more financially independent or be a little bit more contributive uh, towards me going to college because as anyone who's gone to college knows, it's, it's not cheap. 
um, even if you have scholarships and different things, mm-hmm. just still living by yourself is a, is a huge step. Um, so I guess the biggest detour that I took that I wasn't expecting was, um, was actually taking a position as a food runner at a restaurant back at home. Um, and so I had had a little bit more time um, on the weekends because uh, I wasn't too socially active my first year of college. And I, I guess I was a little bit homesick too, but um, I didn't anticipate going to work for uh, the small family-owned restaurant back in my hometown. Um, but it was one of the greatest decisions I ever made uh, because I started out as a food runner. I don't know if you've ever worked in restaurants before, um, but it's a lot of, in the business world, you'd say client-facing activities, but it's a lot of just kind of dealing with people who get hangry, some people who are really sweet, um, working in hot kitchens and just meeting a whole cast of different people. So um, that's something I didn't expect to do. Um, shortly after I uh, became a food runner, I started talking to my managers and getting a little bit more interested in becoming a bar back. So I switched from food running over to being a bar back. I did that for a couple months and then there was an opening that happened um, where I could um, I could be a bartender at the steakhouse. So it wasn't like the the traditional college bars um, up till 3 p.m. type fast-paced bars, but it was it was still a bar. I got to learn a lot about different alcohols, beers, um, how to serve drinks to customers. I had to get a pouring license mm-hmm. from my hometown, so that was a big step. Um, and just kind of being thrown into that position while also going to school during the week it was something that was really, really important and a good detour. Um, it actually, I would argue that having worked in a small business setting like that, that really prompted um, my reason to go um, study business. Um, I started thinking about things that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And one of those was either opening a bar or uh, opening my own restaurant. Um, so that really prompted my decision to go back and start looking at, okay, well, how do I understand the financial decisions? How do I understand taxes? Uh, because those are things that I just wasn't learning in my, my chemistry classes and my math classes. Um, so gaining a little bit of confidence to be able to wink and smile at customers um, definitely helped my self-esteem and, and I think was one of the biggest contributing factors of getting me from that place of being insecure in my body into being a lot more confident in who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, it, it really sparked my interest in business just because my parents weren't really in business and it wasn't something I'd been exposed to before then. What would you say is your biggest takeaway slash your biggest learning from being in that small business environment? Yeah, um, I would say, and this really ties into the if poem, um, if, if you can smile when people are not always particularly nice to you, and if you can maintain your face when you maybe have a drunk patron or someone who gets a little too belligerent or is having a bad day or something like that, I think that's one of your strongest assets. Um, so always maintaining a positive outlook and also maintaining that that positive face for others. Keeping that composure important. in whatever situation. Oh yeah, absolutely. You never wanna lose face uh, no matter what. I feel like there's some moments where like, I, I, it's just like a part of the human race mm-hmm. that you will lose face. Like, oh yeah, you're just gonna lose it because I don't know. I I feel like 
you can do your best to respect and keep integrity. Mm-hmm. But like, there are some times where you just want to blow up. And honestly, you need to. It's, it, it's a lot better if you're by yourself. Yeah. But if you do it to somebody, you better, you better apologize. Because yeah. like, you're sorry. You're like, you know, I had all this going on mm-hmm. and I'm just so sorry. Like, mm-hmm. this is, I'm 100% responsible. You are not. Yeah. So. I think the, the biggest reason people blow up is because they're not, um, they're not releasing that tension earlier enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not it's just kind of journaling or talking about it with someone. Uh, one of the things that, that would help me kind of prevent a blow up at work um, would be so I have this friend from high school who worked at the Cuban restaurant across the street from the restaurant that I worked at. Um, and so we'd get off work about the same time, both be really irritable from just um, walking on our feet all night and really trying to hold it in from snapping on someone. Um, and so what we would do is we'd take about 30 minutes. I'd usually drop him off at home and we'd sit in his driveway for about 30 minutes and just in a safe space, just go on a tangent about things that happened at work, uh, things that we were mad about during the week, things we were stressed about, and that really seemed to help. Um, you can't always do that sometimes, but if you have at least someone or something to vent those frustrations, it really, really helps. So you can save face and avoid um, having to be put into a situation where you have to apologize to someone yeah. uh, because of that. Just having a relationship with somebody. Absolutely. And somebody you trust. Yeah. So, all right. Let's head on over to the last one, to the Freedom Highway. So you're about to enter the highway of life. Oh, yeah. And you're on the entrance ramp right now. What are some of those things that you're doing currently that are going to take you towards that successful future of yours? Yeah. So um, one of the biggest things I'm doing right now is just getting outside of my comfort zone. I know that's that's pretty vague, um, but joining DSP... Um, back at the beginning of last year was the first kind of step into formulating the life that I wanted to have for myself in the future. Um, prior to joining DSP, I had a very, very small group of friends at UGA and a lot of my friends were from back home and I maintained that work relation back home because I wanted to see those friends. Um, but I knew that because they had different career paths and because I had different career paths, I had to really start making my own friends, start making my own path. Um, so one of the biggest things I've done now is just being involved in in really one organization. You can be involved in different organizations, but I think if you have at least one or two organizations that you're really passionate about and really passionate about the people within that organization, it makes it easier to put yourself into growing positions. Uh, like with the VPPA position, I don't think... I would have even thrown my name into the hat if it hadn't have been for the overwhelming amount of support from my 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 female and male bros in the SP. Um, so that's been really good. I think one thing to allude to that is the analogy of, do you want to dig one foot deep and go a mile wide, or do you want to dig, like, what is that, a mile deep and a foot wide? Yeah, I got So you. it's like kind of the depth versus mm-hmm. breadth, like... Do you want to give everything you have to that one organization where that's a foot wide but a mile deep? Or do you want to branch yourself out to everybody else and not really be able to like fully engage yourself? Yeah, yeah because I believe you can, you can really spread yourself a little too thin. And I know this kind of contradicts with uh, what we were talking about at the beginning with the whole like holistic overview of, yeah. of business. 
But I think once you're a part of an organization, um, if you do that foot wide and a mile deep, that's where you really start to hit gold. You really start to hit the, the true value in that organization. True, true. Um, but on top of that, the other Freedom Highway things that I've been working on now is uh, my, my, my goal is to be able to wake up at five o'clock in the morning every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some CEOs that wake up at like four o'clock, 4.30, and I've thought about that a little bit as making that my goal, but I, I don't think I wanna go to bed at eight o'clock at night to be able to make those, those kind of leaps. Um, but I was say, what time do you go to sleep? I usually, so I have all 8 a.m.s this semester, which has been a huge struggle. Um, but usually I go to bed about 11.30 or 12. Mm-hmm. And on most good days, I can wake up about 6, 5.30. Um, but I really, really want to be able to maximize that time I have in the morning. Uh, one, because it just feels a little bit more peaceful and meditative. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't have everybody all around you um, clamoring to do things. Gives me time to read. Um, one thing that I've gotten back into that I did over the summer as well is I would wake up early and go work out and just make sure that I got that critical thing that made me feel good done at the beginning of the day. Um, so just working on on habitats, or I'm sorry, working on uh, building habitats for success. Yeah. Building habits for success. Um, I think that's something that I want to really crucially develop now in college so that when I start my life, when I start my family, when I do all these other things, I can at least have my act together so that um, I'm not clamoring at the last minute to, to get my life together later Yeah, because a lot of people seemingly try to get their life together when they're like yeah. 30 and then they have that midlife crisis. I'm 40. What the heck am I doing? It's tough. It's and tough. if you can identify it right now as a 21-year-old, mm-hmm. yeah. you are paces you are miles ahead mm-hmm. of the competition. Well, so this is such an experimental time too. So you can see what things work. You can yeah. see, um, and, and the stakes are pretty low in college. I think, like obviously, you want to graduate. You don't want to flunk out, but uh, you don't really have to worry about. Well, do I need to um, pick up my kids from daycare? Am I going to lose my job? All these other things. Um, so I think it's this is a prime time to start getting into the habit of of those good um, morning routines. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Mr. Brand, you ready for the quick fire round yes. of questions? Let's go for it. All right, what is the most profound book you have read and why? Okay, this is going to sound a little ridiculous um, because it's not its not one of the great classics. Maybe it will be when I have a grandkid. Oh, oh, oh. hot take um, here. It'll take some time. Uh, but my absolute favorite book, probably the only book that I've read uh, about five times, which I don't know if that's embarrassing, but I've read it a good bit, is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And the reason for that is because there's this one scene in the book, I'm not sure if if you're familiar with Harry Potter. Not at all. (laughs) It's about a boy wizard who finds out- I know Harry Potter. Oh yeah, so he's this boy wizard who basically goes to this magic school and he's confronted with all of these these conflicts, these challenges, and it's a very kind of coming of age type novel spread over the course of seven books and, yeah. and about a thousand, multiple thousands of pages long. Um, but the reason why The Prisoner of Azkaban is so profound for me is because there's a scene in that book where Harry, um, he goes back in time and he sees himself and Sirius Black um, essentially having their soul sucked out by these Dementors. So it's a very like fictional kind of realm. Yeah. Um, and so he goes back in time because he thinks that he saw his dad from the other side of the lake. 
And so he's sitting there with Hermione, I believe. If I had, I may have confused the movie and the book, but he's sitting at the other end of the lake, seeing his past self with his kind of uncle mentor, um, having their souls and their lives drained from them by these Dementors. And so Harry's sitting over in these bushes and he's talking to Hermione and he says, just wait for it, wait for it. My dad's gonna come out of the bushes, he's gonna appear and he's gonna cast a Patronus and he's gonna do away with uh, the Dementors. And a little bit more in depth, so the Dementor is, is basically this mythical creature in Harry Potter that sucks out all the happiness. It's essentially a physical, I don't know if personification is the right word, but it's a, the physical incarnation of gloom, depression, uh, anxieties, everything that's bad and kind of can drain you of, of your happiness, um, put into this bedsheet ghost type <laughs> entity. And the Patronus is something that's cast from positive thoughts are good memories and um in is the one charm or i guess spell that can vanquish the dementors and so harry's sitting over there and he's watching his past self have the life sucked out of him and um, he finally makes this realization that his dad who's been dead for i guess 13 years at that point is not going to be able to come back and save him and so harry potter at that point has to take the agency on his self, on his own, um, and cast the Patronus to save his past self. And I think that's so profound because no matter what anxieties you have in life, no matter what is really kind of bogging you down, um, the only person that I think is really gonna save you from those mindsets, those negative mindsets, is yourself. And the moment you take that leap of faith, the moment that you take control over what is controllable of your life, to elevate yourself, that's the moment that you really um, take control. Yeah, yeah. Take your life out of that dark place. Um, so that's why that will always be uh, my favorite book. That's awesome. Thank you. All right, what is one thing that you do religiously day after day? Yes. So one thing that I make time for every day is a 10-minute mindful meditation. Uh, whether or not that's just walking down the hill from uh, my dorm down to the dining hall or... Um, taking some time to, um, during my workouts, just to be a little bit quiet and turn off the music or turn off the podcast. Um, so I, I shoot for about 10 minutes a day. Um, I actually learned this technique from the Mormons. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my close friends from high school, she is Mormon. She's currently serving on her mission over in Singapore. And um, they have this idea of, oh, I'm sure all Christians and, and most religions, they have prayer, but um, growing up in a and not super religious household I never really understood what prayer was um, and like I knew sort of what meditation was um, but I learned this Mormon prayer mindfulness technique uh, from these missionaries who visited Athens I guess about a year a year and a half ago or so um, and the way that they phrased it and theirs was a little bit more of a religious context but if you start out your meditations or your mindful thoughts with posing a question explicitly posing a question and then thinking about that question and thinking about the ways that you can answer that question for 10 minutes. It can be less than that if it's an easier question, but really putting thought into an explicit question that you have put out into the universe, mm -hmm. it's really good for just improving your overall clarity. Um, so that's something that I do religiously, haha, uh, pun intended, um, on a daily basis. I like that. Thank you. All right, a couple more questions. What's the most impactful quote that you've encountered? And once again, why? 
Yeah, um, so definitely the two poems I read at the beginning, If and um, an Invictus, um, I would say out of the Invictus poem, that last, um, those last two lines, yeah. I'm the master of my fate. Captain of my soul. You got it. I'm the captain of my soul. Those are the two um, best pieces of kind of advice I think anybody can have. It, it really improves your confidence. It really focuses on taking ownership of your own life and knowing that uh, your dad's not going to jump out of the bushes and cast the Patronus to defeat your Dementors. Yeah, you're 100% responsible for everything in your life. That's it. That's it. All right. What is your personal definition of success? Okay, um, just in school or life? Life in general. Because school is a part of life. Yeah, I think. Are you? Do you mean like when I know that I'll have attained success, or just kind of what I'm striving for in success? Let's go striving for because my definition of success is becoming one with myself mm-hmm. in order to live my purpose, so that I can leave a lasting legacy yeah. for those that I love. Yeah, I like, you've defined that is it. my definition. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, I think as far as striving for success, uh, one thing that I do um, as a part of my mindful meditations or, or kind of my, my mantra is, um, is treating every day as a new learning opportunity. So I think no matter what you do, you, you can have different tiers for success. Like if you fail at something, you're still learning from something. So there's success within failure. But I think if you can go into a situation or you can go into a test, you don't have to ace it hundred percent, but if you're leaving after that test or after, um, having done that thing marginally smarter than you were uh, going into it, I think that's success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as long as you maintain that, um, that kind of idea of personal growth and wanting to learn more, wanting to improve for the next time, that's success in my book. All right, and we'll jump into the final question right here. If you could define your journey of growth in three words, what would they be? This one always gets people to think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so three words that... Kind of define your journey. Where I'm at right now in the journey. Yes. Or, okay. Or if you want to have it where you want to go. Yeah, yeah. It's your journey. Mm-hmm. It's your answer. Um, let's see. Never. Oh, this is going to be four. What if, uh, can I just say it if it's four? Let's do it. Let's All right. Do it. Never settle for less. Is that? You can do never settle. Yeah. Never settle. There That's perfect. A little bit, a little bit more concise. Um, yeah. Never settle. Never settle. Uh, one of the biggest things that I kind of struggle with in, I always work towards avoiding is uh, getting into a complacent sort of um, mindset or getting into a complacent life and I think if you're always striving for the best even if you don't hit the very best since you've just aimed for that you're gonna hit somewhere that's a lot farther than if you just settled because you're comfortable so making sure that you always get out of um, any kind of place where you're a little too comfy 
there's a, I don't know if you've read the Odyssey, uh, but there's a, a point when Odysseus, um, he's traveling across the Mediterranean and he makes it to northern Tunisia, I think, with, which in that part of the, the Odyssey is, I think it's known as the land of the lotus eaters. And so Odysseus, he comes up to this beautiful land. There's a ton of food. There's a ton of wine and drink and bounty and all these things. And he notices that everyone there um, eats these lotuses. And so Odysseus and his crew all eats these, I guess they're psychedelic um, type flowers. And they fall into this trance of lust and excess and all these things. And I can't remember what amount of time passes, but it's a significant amount of time that passes where um, Odysseus just doesn't realize that he's wasted a bunch of time being comfortable mm-hmm. and partying, essentially. Yeah. So it's like if you go to Las Vegas and you haven't seen the sunlight in three days, um, it's a little bit like that. But I think in a, a more journey of growth sense is if you can put down the lotus and if you can challenge yourself every day if you start to get a little bit more a little bit more comfortable or a little too comfortable um that's why never settling for less or never settling uh is so important all right well this is also my favorite section is where i get to thank the individual who comes (laughs) in brand i think the word insightful comes to mind first but you are very powerful in your message and your journey is definitely something that it's kind of trailblazing because I mean you're doing two and a half majors. You're doing a very high up position. You're wanting to help people succeed, and most of all, like you're putting in a lot of work on yourself. And the never settle, like that, is tough to say, or it's super easy to say, but so tough to do. Mm-hmm. And I think you're the example of I'm really never going to settle. And all of your successes up to this point are a result of that mantra. And I would like to thank you for being awesome. And to go back to the Harry Potter reference, like, I mean, if I gave you a wand, like, giving you the Patronus spell, <laughs> I know that's something that you're going to do for people's lives mm-hmm. in the future and to help them suck up their dementors, bring them to their light of valuing themselves, having that self-esteem and confidence to say, you know what, like, I'm never going to settle. Absolutely. So, Brand, thank you very much for joining the show. Well, Griffin, thank you so much for having me. Hope to see you soon. Yes, sir. All right, guys, that concludes the episode 15 of the brand car of the Journey for the podcast. I hope you enjoyed.